Welcome to a Script to Screen workshop podcast. Script to Screen is a charitable organisation developing the craft and culture of storytelling for the screen in Aotearoa, New Zealand. In May 2021, Script to Screen partnered with the Aotearoa Screen Publicists Collective to present the A to Z of screen publicity wānanga. The aim of the workshop was to show the many ways screen publicists can work alongside creatives to ensure their stories are discovered and watched by their target audiences. The sessions were recorded and this is one of 10 that you can listen to. Each session has its own whakatauki befitting the theme of the discussion. Te toia, te haumatia. Nothing can be achieved without a plan, a workforce and a method. Welcome to EPK BTS OMG, a kōrero about smart strategies for getting all the materials for all media for all your publicity needs. In this session, publicist and founding member of the Aotearoa Screen Publicist Collective, Courtney Mayhew, speaks with photographer Kirsty Griffin, writer and director Todd Karehana, and Selwyn Kumar, a social and digital producer at TVNZ. We've, we've delved a little bit into materials already today, but we're going to get really into it uh, with these amazing panellists. Um, and what I'm going to do first of all is give you an overview of definitions so that when you do hear us talking about things such as EPK, you'll know what we're talking about. Um, EPK is electronic press kit, not to be confused with your written materials. So your written materials will be your production notes or your press kit. Uh, EPK is audiovisual, and in your EPK, you'll sometimes, it depends on, on the show or the, the film that you have, interview sound bites, B-roll, clips from the series or the film, uh, and the from though that EPK, featurettes can be made. So featurettes, of course, often have all three of those things within them. When I say B-roll, that, uh, that is footage that someone on set has captured that is not, first of all, they are not filming the scene. Your main camera is doing that. There always has to be a crew member in there or a camera, otherwise it's not B-roll. Um, B-roll is the capturing of the behind-the-scenes process, essentially. Press kit and production notes. So, as I said, written materials, log lines, synopses. Uh, you you may have a director's statement in there or producer's statement, and then often a background into how it was made. The EPK interviews that you did with your cast and crew, you've hopefully transcribed them, and you use those quotes and you pop them in your press kit and or production notes. Uh, stills. So, stills are taken by on-set photographer. And then if you have uh, behind-the-scenes stills, those are candid images that your uh, on-set photographer has taken. Gallery images. So if this is in character, this is usually for your key art. So marketing materials, poster, things like that. And that is often done as a setup shoot. Sometimes you can just do it on set. Sometimes you have it as a completely separate shoot on a seamless. Um, out of character, uh, gallery shoot can be helpful as well. Those things will be paired more with your publicity stories. Does that all make sense? Is there any ding-ding-dings? We're good? Sweet. Awesome. All right, I'm going to introduce our lovely um, panellists here. So we've got Todd here to my left. Todd is, I mean, you're a bit of a jack-of-all-trades. Um, uh, today in particular, we'll be talking about um, your experience of doing social media and behind-the-scenes gathering, but Todd's also a writer and director. Kirsty's a stills photographer and a filmmaker as well. Um, I've been really lucky to work with Kirsty on a couple of films before. And then the lovely Selwyn, who is social and... So, what's the exact? Social producer? 
social and digital producer at TVNZ and very specifically has amazing insights into Shortland Street. So those are the, that's, that's who we're going to be having a yarn with. All right, so I'm going to ask you guys, first of all, in, uh, who, who are the people in your job that you have to form your key relationships with? And Kirsty, I'm going to start with you. You start on a film, you're doing the still photography. Um, well, kia ora, everybody. But um, first of all, really um, doing stills on set is a relationship between me and the cast. And if you, if there's any problems here, it can be really, really difficult. But um, generally, it's pretty good. And so I deal mainly with the cast, of course, because I'm photographing them and the you, and the producers. So that's pretty much it. I mean, as far as, but then there's all that, you know, people you're jostling for space with, all the, the crew. So you have to have them on board as well. So, yeah. It's about being nice and kind. <laughs> and Todd, what about yourself? Uh, kia ora, everybody. Um, uh, could I just start with a little bit about my journey Please, to sorry. being in this space? So I started as a director and then I started working as a writer on a television series. And um, so I was on that, that TV series for a number of years and that was the first uh, production that I started to do social media on. And I think that um, that journey is really important because for me, understanding the materials that would connect with the audience was at a script level. It was, at, um, it was about the characters, the character journey. It was about um, the themes in the show. And being a writer, I was privileged to be able to know that, you know. So when I was collecting materials, it was coming from that point of view. And so for me... The most important relationships in doing that mahi was the producer, you know, having the trust of the producer to allow me to, um, you know, imagine uh, different ideas, different materials that we could use to engage our audience. Um, and then on set, in more practical terms, um, being able to be in the schedule. So a relationship with the first ADs and also the line producer so that they can give you that time and space um, with your crew and your cast to be able to gather that material. And then, um, like uh, she mentioned, a uh, relationship with the actors and um, so that they trust your ideas and they, they go along with that and, and that you collaborate on that material. Awesome. And Salwan, do you want to tell us a little bit about your job and then sort of who the key people are that you work with on it? Sure. Um, so I, I do all the social and digital stuff for Shortland Street. Um, before that, um, I was at SVP and then I left to become a talent agent. And then now I'm back again. Um, that created a new role for me, which is sort of um, looking after all the social um, content for Shortland Street and essentially what I was doing before... Um, hope that answers the question. Um, and then, um, so key um, relationships, um, I would say, would be with the talent, because some of the feedback that I get is the talent are more relaxed when I'm recording the videos with them, or they are more open and, and open to new ideas and all that sort of stuff, as opposed to chucking someone random in front of them and being like, hey, what's your favourite colour? Um, and then your producer, again, um, would be your, just so you're hitting the right notes in terms of the story arc that you're creating or, um, you know, 
obviously the producers have a lot of knowledge in the sense that, you know, this is this, this is the person we want to build, this is the storyline we want to build because it's going to come to a climax at the end of the day or whatever. Um, so working closely with the producers and also, um, yeah, um, and then the publicists as well. Because just so, to, just to make sure your traditional, traditional publicity as well as digital are all succinct um, and you're hitting the right notes and promoting the same thing. Because sometimes um, in the past we've noticed that the promo on the network would be promoting something completely different than what, what the publicist is promoting or what we're promoting on social. So, um, and what we're currently doing is that we're making sure all the messaging is the same and... Yeah, we're all hitting the right notes, promoting the correct things, and it seems to be working. So, let's fingers crossed. Um, I think it's definitely working. You did amazing <laughs> work. Um, so, I think I think just from that, producer and, and talent, and so producer and cast are really key relationships. Um, when you're when you're gathering these kinds of materials, producer, a big reason for that is that if they are on board with you, then they will make sure everyone else is. <laughs> if, you, if your producer onboards you in the proper way and says that, that you're, so, you're part of the crew and you're, you're part of the process, then it does make the job a lot easier as well. Um, I'm going to start with a question to Kirsty because we both get it a little bit uh, when we're working on a film and it's, why don't you just use screenshots? Why does your job still exist? I know, people do say that yeah. to me sometimes, but have you ever tried to take a screenshot of a moving image? It's a little bit blurry. <laughs> um, and often on the sort of lower end, lower budget films, the camera gear's not as good, you know, as high quality as the big cameras that they use on big films. So you're having a bit of a resolution problem there. And also you don't get any behind the scenes stuff, which is what people love to see, you know, that the relationships between the cast and the director and the crew and all the lights and all that stuff. But they don't, they don't, you can't get that on screen grabs. And also they're not graded till right to the end. So you've got this really flat image that you wouldn't want to put out. <laughs> and like imagine if your sales agent says, oh my gosh, we've got this, we've got an opportunity to sell this at Berlin and you're still yeah. shooting and you don't have any images. Um, and I have I've seen that happen. So it is, um, it's uh, yeah, it's measurable having someone and, like Kirsty. You know, it's a I've made a few documentaries and, and submitting off to um, film festivals and things. They always want stills, and that's the first thing you're ever going to see. So it's got to be good, and it's got to represent the film quite stylistically and um, the you know the feel of it and all, all that work that the costume designer and the DP and the director have all spent, you know, months and months working out. You've got to kind of capture that as well. And that's sort of a big part of what I try and do is be true to all the creatives that have got it to that point. And um, anyway, what, what were we saying? Screen no, that's good. So, you got, no, yeah. no, no, I've got something else yeah. to say about that. But um, so when you're filling in these forms to go to... to send off to various film festivals, they always say, no screen grabs. Yeah. Have you noticed that? They always say that. Yeah. Screen grabs are unacceptable. So, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You're not going to get into Toronto <laughs> with a screen grab. No. Um, and to, to Kirsty's point, when she talks about uh, representing the film, one of the reasons why I love, love, love to work with Kirsty, and it's something to look out for in a good stills photographer, is they leave... Their, they, you know, they leave their ego at the door, and it's amazing because they, the best stills photographers, 
represent the film as it is being shot, as opposed to putting their own imprint on it. And that's, I think, a really amazing skill. And I think you just seem to be seem to do it without even thinking. But um, if you're looking for a stills photographer, that was my biggest advice, is you might look at them and, and think all of their images are beautiful, but if they look the same across every single film that they've worked on, then they're not quite getting um, the copra of the, the particular projects. But I just want to hit on the behind-the-scenes stuff, because obviously that is something that, that Kirsty's going to be, will be capturing. And um, Salwin in particular, I'd love to know how valuable behind-the-scenes content is for you guys and what kind of content do you use? Um, so with the behind-the-scenes stuff, um, I, I mean, I've said, like, you know, why not just post a cool promo that's on air? Um, but um, with the promos, you're, you're already preaching to the converted. Um, your audience is already convinced about the show. So, like, more, the more diverse or exclusive your content is, is the better, because um, that's got an opportunity to bring in the audience, which is essentially what you want for a show that's been going on for 29 years. You need to be creative um, in the sense that, you know, there's only so many times um, your core character can do a beauty Q&A or whatnot. So, like, you need to think outside the box, be in, in innovative, and, yeah, and, and, and um, so, yeah, the behind the scenes, is, it's very important, and, and also um, it's an outlet to change audience perception. So, you know, um, we've had, we've all have had stories about the villains on the show being spat on or being, their hair being pulled out or whatnot. So we sort of humanize, it's our way of humanizing their talent and saying, hey, this person's one of the nicest pe people you'll meet or whatnot, and then changing the narrative. Um, and yeah, um, I, from my perspective, behind this, like, yeah, a selfie's gonna do you wonders on the, on the internet as opposed to, in comparison to your really cool promo shot. Not to say that we don't need promo, promos, but it need, there needs to be a balance. And um, yeah, um, there's some great examples which I think we might touch on later in the sense that we've, we've used social to change the narrative of certain characters and all of that. Um, does that answer the question? Sorry. Yeah, that's great. And, and, and if you want to talk about those examples, that, you know, that you had spoken to me about, like Jaden, for example, where you used yeah. it to change the narrative. Um, so Jaden Daniels, who played Curtis on, on Shortland Street, um, he, when he started, I was actually looking back at some of the um, earlier on posts that we did, um, and he was hated on. Um, and then we, but um, when I met him, because I was straight out of drama school, he was one of the nicest person people I've, 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 I've met in my life. So I was like, we can't have that. But um, so I was like, let's... let's Let's showcase um, you. Um, and then we did that by, um, you know, doing content with loved characters at the time. Um, that's it's a, a concept that we still use. Um, and, you know, did behind-the-scenes content with him. And there's, we did a whole bunch of stuff. And now um, he's one of the most loved characters in Shortland Street history. Um, so not to say the storylines didn't help either, but like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a thing that, um, it's, it's something that, that you work closely with, with the producers and that, you know, it's just being succinct with all your messaging. Um, and yeah, um, one of the um, earlier examples was a character that started and she was being hated on. Um, and then I, I just put her in front of the camera and said, hey, give me your whatever. Um, like, so just a quick Q&A, um, just to showcase that there's a person behind that behind the people that you're mocking or saying, go kill yourself or whatever. Um, this person has feelings. So humanizing your, your talent helps. Um, and yeah, so, so for, for me, it's, it's, it's quite important. And also it's, it's a way to get new audiences and also 
kind of keeping your your current audience engaged and yeah hope that helps yeah no that's great and it was kind of what Gemma and um Kenny were talking about about there being people behind this and um before uh Todd I want to ask about Ahikaro and what kind of content did you prioritize and what was it like being the writer and then capturing that content what was the advantage of that um, I really like what um, Selwyn just said about changing the narrative. You know, uh, the shows, the films that we were making, we're trying to change um, people's minds, people's hearts. And so our work, is, you know, has a socio-political impact. And so when I think about, um, you know, how can I best approach this show that I'm working on, I try to really... Uh, figure out what the soul of the show is and what is the messaging within the show um, and kind of leveraging off that as a, as a basis for materials. So um, a good example would be um, in Ahikaroa, um, fashion and makeup was something that we were really, you know, um, we knew that audiences, because it's targeted at a youth audience, we knew youth audiences are interested in fashion, makeup, music. And so we thought, okay, in order to meet them there, let's kind of lean on that. So we created um, Spotify playlists that kind of um, spoke to characters in the show. You know, we created a, a unique playlist for each character and we filled it with music that we thought that character would listen to, and also dropping in little um, little hints of where that story might go. Um, for instance, one character, Smooch, her ex-boyfriend passed away, and so we wanted to kind of put a song in the playlist that kind of hinted at that. And, um, you know, when the show first came out, people didn't know what that song represented, but as it rolled out, we, we posted that and said... Um, you know, this is what Smooch listens to when she thinks about her boyfriend that passed away. So um, I think getting really creative around how can you leverage audiences' um, behaviours but also um, touch, touch in with the themes of that show. And with Ahikaroa, it is a lot about um, uh, dealing with trauma uh, in a healthy way or, um, or confronting your own trauma and trying to work through it. And so for me, as a, as a strategist, I think, okay, the playlist, the song, it's all feeding into that conversation um, that we're trying to have with the audience. Um, yeah, and so uh, what was the other part of your question? No, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just, just about sort of what it was like as a writer and the things that you prioritised. Yes, and as a writer, um, when it came to our still shoot, we actually went in quite a different direction. Because um, this was the first um, uh, Maori drama that was funded on a high, uh, high scale. And so, you know, it was quite a special moment for all of us writers, directors. And so we were trying to kind of um, imprint on everyone with this publicity shoot, what is the essence of our show? And so, you know, it's set in an urban context. It's about young Maori. Um, but also Māori that have a real strong connection to their cultural roots in some way or another. And so for our still shoot, we started to think out of the box. We're like, okay, what can we, how do we dress these people? Um, how can the fabrics that they wear speak to that, uh, that conversation? So we chose to go for denim, you know, like, okay, denim's really big, uh, you know, it, it represents like this urban kind of experience 
or working class experience, which a lot of our characters are from. But then we wanted to give it like a Māori twist because we wanted people to know, you know, this is a Māori show. And, and yes, the characters themselves, they, they show that. But we wanted to take it to that next step. So we had them in like denim clothes that were slightly um, inspired by like our traditional wear. But then they kind of had a more like modern edge. And then we used um, like feather earrings and like different signifiers that kind of really drove that idea home. And so for me, I think that was a really great example of finding the soul of your show and, um, and representing that in a unique or distinctive way. And not necessarily just saying that's their costume on set, so we're going to put them in, in that. There's actually, um, I don't know if anybody's heard about it or seen it, the film Shiver Baby. And the key art for that, she never once wears that in the show, but God, that key art is good. Um, if you look it up um, on Letterboxd, because you should have all downloaded Letterboxd, um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's something that represents kind of, it represents the vibe of the show as opposed to, you know, exactly what she's wearing in the scenes. Yeah, and I think it had really good cut through. Um, you know, there are some people that thought, oh, you know, what has this kind of got to do with the show? But, I mean, you're always going to have people that see things differently. But I think we were able to do that because the producer trusted me and, you know, trusted what we wanted to do. And so that's really important, having that producer buy-in. So important. Um, trust being a big one and trust when it comes to cast, Kirsty. How do you how do you build that? And have you, do you have any horror stories, or do you have I any tips? I have some horror stories. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, get out Samantha, of my eye line. Samantha Morton made me cry once. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't cry in front of her. Oh, yeah, no, Samantha Morton wouldn't let me photograph her and the only shots I could get of her was when she was blindfolded. <laughs> so she's on the poster with a blindfold. So but anyway, one of the things that... What that did the producer say about you? You were like, smoke? I think an actor said it was An actor, because this is, like, Kirsty will make herself invisible on set. You do not know it's she's great there. Being a middle-aged woman, I tell you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she must be someone's wife. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. But, you, I mean, again, the best still photographers I've ever worked with, they just have this amazing way of just seeping in. And then you look at the photos and you go, like, how, where, how? Um, and, again, that's just practice. And yeah. I, I always say, like, half of your job is your personality and the way you conduct yourself, and half of your job is your actual work and the photos that well, you take. Well, I think I'm lucky because I've been doing it for so long that <laughs> I'm just kind of always there. So I know the crew... The crew are great, you know, mm. they, you have to educate the young ones every now and then, but the older ones are great, you know, it's like, they always make room and, and, and the thing with my job, you need to know when to actually just walk away because yeah. it's like, it's no point. And then as well, like getting <laughs> the, the, t the cast on board with what you're doing is only going to help in the promotion of it because your biggest advocates outside of, you know, I, you want to utilise your cast. You want to utilise them for interviews, but you also want to utilise them for their own social following. Um, so when I was wondering, is there, anything, is there anything in particular that you think about when you, or any kind of content that you've found talent like to post more? Do you, do you think about that in terms of content and giving it to talent? Yeah, so when I came back to TVNV, there was a lot of push where... Um, 
why aren't talent doing more content on their personal social channels? Um, or can we supply them promos or whatever um, to post in their channels? But um, So I left to become a talent agent for influencers um, and, and traditional talent. So that was one of my initiatives, to train actors into the social space. Um, and what I found that is that you once you get to know the talent and how what they are likely to post, um, they are more likely to post the content that you give them. So, for example, Rebecca Randall um, plays Dawn on the show, if you ever watched the show. Um, she's obviously got her brain pillars. Um, so, you know, I, I'd go, the cast photo that we did, I'd go behind the scenes with her, I'd create a content that she's more likely to post um, on her channels as opposed to, here's a really cool promotional shot from the cast photo. She's not going to post that. Um, so it's about getting to know your talent. But I think it all goes back to the beginning where we would train them on publicity. You know, if you're going out in public, do this or do that, blah, blah, blah. Um, that translates into social media to be like, just cater to your audience, know your brand and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yes, I create content to... So if I want ex-talent to post something, I'm, I'm, I'll go out of my way to make sure... I'm creating something that they are likely to post. Um, and, yeah, um, does that answer the yeah, question? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I've, got, I've had more to say there, but I don't know. <laughs> Go for it if you've got um, more. <laughs> um, I th um, so, Would yeah. Make like, sure you have the microphone up here. Cause we're, okay. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so, like, um, we can't always be on set with the talent. So I think sometimes when you're on the same page with them and, um, and they know what, what I would, I'm likely to use and, you know, it's a win-win situation for a show like Shaw and Shred, which are a huge following on social media, um, and I get a new actor come in and be like, you can use this to your benefit as much as we can use you as a new talent on the show. You know, I'll grow your following. Um, so, you know, sometimes they have access to things that I can't be there for. So... Um, for example, lockdown, we had um, some talent creating great content, um, but that all came with training. They knew what, what I wanted. I knew what they wanted. I would, um, again, if you follow the show, Scott Smart created some great um, content um, on his social channels. So he, he had to do his own makeup. He's a boy. Um, so he did a really funny skit of um, Kim Kardashian doing her makeup. So it was hilarious. Um, but he knew that would work best. And that all came down to training and telling him, you know, training them to be, know how to use social media effectively, what are the correct hashtags, how to use hashtags, and correct shower handles and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, Shortly Street, people impersonate our show on social media all the time. So it's like, you need to take the right, you need to take the right channels. You need to use the... Yeah, so it all goes down to training and making sure that they they are on the same page. Make sure, yeah, just as long as the talent is comfortable, I get great content. So I think, yeah, that's my main thing. Maybe because I've come from being a talent agent, I'm more talent focused, but I just think it's a win-win for both parties if we all cooperate. Can I just add to that? I think it's also a really great exercise um, in the writing portion of as well you know, for your show, like we talk about publicity as it's like something that's outside of or, you know, after the project, but it can actually inform the character quirks and stuff like that um, 
for instance, a great exercise is creating a, an Instagram profile for this character for your own use and trying to understand, like, what would they post? You know, what would my character actually post sexy selfies or are they more likely to post, you know, a picture of a tree and a book or something, you know? And that can really help inform that kind of character backstory in that more, um, yeah, that writer way. So I think it's, like, a really cool conversation between the department um, and the publicists. And um, also, on top of that, um, just a little example that I had is sometimes you can put content out there and the actor doesn't like it. And you, you kind of, you know, been sent a message and they're like, take that down, I don't like it. <laughs> um, in this instance, um, Hemi, he's a character in the show, he... Um, he kind of meets a, a new wahine and they get hot and heavy real quick. And in the trailer or in one of the little sizzle reels, he kind of says this really sexy line. It's like, um, um, are you ready, baby? Or no. Ooh. Oh, is your watercress wet? Because I'm hungry, baby, or something. You know? <laughs> something really out there. And it blew up online. It was one of the main things that, you know, our audience commented back on these posts. And he messaged me and was like, Todd, you've got to take that down. My girlfriend is being embarrassed. Like, every conversation that she's having is about this watercress line. <laughs> I was like, you know, I, I didn't know what to do in this, in this situation because it's kind of good for the show because <laughs> you're getting cut through. But then, you know, these are real people and they live real lives and we have to think about the impact that we have on these real people's lives. Um, in that instance, I just contacted the producer and he told him to just suck it up. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was lucky in that instance. Um, I think it's something to consider, you know. Yeah. How and is your publicity working with people's lives? And I, and I think as well, it's, a, it's interesting as well because we're in New Zealand it's not typical for actors to have approvals and stuff, but elsewhere it really is. And it wasn't until I came back home that I worked on a project where I was like, oh my God, there's no actor approvals. Fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> because usually I would have to go through, you know, uh, an approval process with all of the publicity materials, uh, with all of the cast. And, and I mean, that's a world that, yeah, we navigate quite a bit, unfortunately. But um, there's reasons behind that, and I understand why it, it is a thing. But um, I always leave some stills in that I know they're going to kill. Yeah. Because they, they love killing things. Just for the sake of it. It's like, kill. <laughs> so you leave, like, you know, a 20 that you know they're going to kill. So, you know, hopefully they get that out of their system. When you are in a situation where you have got a schedule in front of you and you've got a plan, uh, there are certain sort of tricks of the trade that I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on. For me, EPKs, you never do them on um, a day where a, a cast member's got heaps of dialogue. You never do it um, too early in the shoot. They have nothing to talk about. And often you try and not do it right at the very end because they're very tired and they want to get the fuck out of there. Um, yeah, and then you also never put your still shoot on a day where someone's got some a scratch or their makeup is just like a little bit different and then you've got to peer it back. But uh, Kirsty, when you're on a film and you have to plan the stills days or you have to do it in conjunction with myself, what do you look out for? Um, basically, you I look for the key relationships that are within the film. Once you read the script, you sort of work out the pairings, I suppose. 
And so when you're reading the schedule, you try and work out the days that you'll get the most, you know, the most value about you being there is whether you can get some key story points, key relationships, or some particular drama that's happening or a fight or an exploding Mustang or something like that, you know. But, um, I mean, I like to do my own breakdown and then I like to compare it to what the producers have given me. <laughs> and then I talk to you about it. And um, so I think we were on the same track for that last one, weren't we? Yeah, yeah, because the other, yeah, there's a, the interesting thing is dependent on the genre of what you're doing. If it is a thriller, don't put it on, don't put stills on the most spoilery days. Um, they will not get used. I mean, it'd be great if you had a stills photographer on every single day, but unfortunately the reality is that only happens on the big blockbusters. Um, so, yeah, it's just about thinking about how they're going to get used. And, the, and then also TV series, um, think about the episodes and that you want to have stills from each episode. The other thing that you, you don't can. get from the script is because you're not in the meetings, you don't know the locations, you know, so it's good to ring the locations person or the production designer and say, what do you reckon are the best days for me to come along when you're out at that location? Or, you know, because you, you, miss, you miss all the subtleties of all the time that's spent finding these beautiful locations and things like that. You just don't get them from the script so much. But um, the one we're doing at the moment is all studio, except for next week, so that's pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> snow, yeah. see, snow. Snow. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty much, you know, just get, covering all the important scenes. Yeah, covering without, all the Without the cast, spoilers. Without the spoilers. Yeah. Um, Selwyn and Todd, you both have um, told me stories previously about handling a character's death um, on social media. And I wanted to ask you both about that and how that played out. Um, Selwyn, do you want to tell me about that one? Um, for me, what I found, what surely is that if, if I know the character story arc, um, so for example, R.I.P. Sarah Potts, um, if, um, you know, if someone's about to die in six months or three months or whatever, I tend to use social media to build the love for that character. Similar, similar thing that you'd do with, um, for example, um, um, your relationship. So your, you know, so your, your current loved characters on the show, so your Esther and Curtis, your Dawn and Marty, your, your whatever. It's about building their love and show, showcasing their chemistry. So you might just all of a sudden see a lot of show footage of that character or behind-the-scenes contact with that person. Um, I mean, part of the reason is I'm trying to utilise them whilst they're within contract, but also, um, you know, building building their love so the impact that we want to have is there. Um, so I personally, you know, build, I, I tend to just play with the audience emotions and, and, and do that just so... <laughs> just so we have that maximum impact. And we do go viral. It's all about going viral at the end of the day. Um, but not really, but hey. Um, <laughs> going viral. Um, yeah, so I, I just toy with them a little bit, personally. Um, yeah. Oh, yes, so um, in Ahikaroa, we had a character that was a drug addict. And um, the actress is actually one of my good friends. And so I knew that she was going to die at a certain um, episode. And so I was like, okay, we need to like announce this death for all of the people that are watching on linear TV. And that's an interesting, you know, dynamic when you release on linear and also demand. 
and how, you know, the publicity is kind of different and needs to shift because of that. But, um, yeah, so I knew she was going to die in, like, episode seven. And so I started creating this, like, kind of um, image. And it had, like, doves, and it had her picture in the middle, and it was kind of like um, in a vignette, kind of like a, a picture on a um, gravestone. <laughs> and I was like, yes, this is perfect. And then I, um, the episode went to air, and then I was like, I know so many people are going to be so upset about her dying. Um, let's post it. So we posted it online, and it got a lot of cut through, but the unintended consequences, people thought the actress died. <laughs> a lot of people didn't read the caption, and when we, when we said, you know, Felicia, rest in peace, they thought it was that Laurie, the actress, died. And so that was an interesting experience. Um, definitely didn't see that coming. Um. <laughs> I'm so sorry for bringing it up, but I had to. Like I said, I did say to Todd when he told me, "Can I bring that up?" Because it's you just sometimes you just don't think about these things, and it's not until something like that happens, right? Yeah. And then you, and then it means that next time you go, "All right, hold on." Are people going to think someone has died? <laughs> by yes. Yeah, and then also, you know, people are like, spoiler alert, thanks for destroying, like, that episode for me. I haven't even watched it because it's not on demand yet. So it's like, oh, you know, um, you can plan and be strategic, but then there's just a little bit of, like, um, you just never know, you know? Yeah, that's the tricky one, I think, with demand. Yeah. Um, something actually, Todd, that I wanted to ask you about Uh is what do you personally feel is the importance of having, whether it's the publicist or it's the person gathering materials on a show or a film that is speaks to a certain community, um, whether it's cultural, whether, you know, it's um, any sort of other specific community, what's the importance of that person, at the very least, having a deep knowledge of it or, at best, living and breathing it? Yeah, um, it's vital. Um, you know, authenticity is something that people can smell and they can taste it, you know, they can smell a rat. So, <laughs> to put it bluntly, um, you know, Ahikaroa is a youth show and thankfully I, I still consider myself youth, um, 33, lol, um, but I still use words like lol. Um, LAUGHTER um, so when I was, um, you know, posting on behalf of these characters or, or through the Ahikaroa social accounts, I was coming at it from that place of, like, I knew my community. Like, I'm talking to my own people. Um, I'm talking to my own youth. I'm talking to queer people. You know, I know how to write that copy. You know, I'd use things like Yas Queen or, like, OMG, like, how could that skank do this, you know? Posts like that. And the audience loved it, you know, because it, it really um, was authentic to the show. And um, what's interesting is once I left, you know, I had another, another friend that took over and he's young too and he nailed it. And then eventually uh, another person took over and they were older and, and uh, I got a number of messages telling me, like, who the hell took over the social media? It sounds like an old person trying to be woke or trying to be young, you know? And so it's not just, like, being from that community. It's also an age thing. It's also, like, a social status thing. Like, um, people are very aware and they can smell, yeah, erect. I think, um, yeah, I think that's a really important thing. Yeah, oh, can I also yeah. add? It's also important 
when it comes to sensitivity, you know, um, understanding that community on a deep level, you know areas or, or, or angles of the conversation um, that you might be moving into when you post something. Um, for instance, if I, you know, if I post something about um, Māori being poor or this character being poor, I myself understand, okay, this community has, is impoverished for these reasons and there's a lot of things people, you can't read in a textbook about that community. You just have to live it. And so I was able to navigate those conversations from, from my um, standpoint. And social media is a, it's a conversation, you know. You don't just post something and then that's the end of your responsibility or your engagement. Like you have to reply to messages, you have to reply to comments if things start going a bit um, hectic online, you know, you have to, you have to engage. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's a big thing is like that social responsibility that we have with our work as well. Mm. Yeah, beautifully said, I think. Yeah, I, and just um, to rolling on from that, um, use an example that I had that I was working on a film uh, that was about the start of uh, Mardi Gras in Sydney. And it, it was an amazing project, uh, but the, the two producers and the director were um, Sis Straight and a lot of the cast were as well. Um, and they actually got me on quite early and the casting process was still happening and they were really freaking out. Um, and so I ended up doing a little bit more than just being the unit publicist in terms of navigating that and advising on those sorts of things. But one of the key things was that, you know, use of language with our cast and how they should speak about it um, became a really big part of my job. And there were things that I noticed that if I wasn't, because I yelled it out before bisexual, um, <laughs> um, I, if, if I wasn't in their community, I don't think I would have noticed it. And, a, and an example was I was sitting there and I was doing an EPK with the lead actor who's a dear friend and, I, and he has the best intentions. Um, and he was answering a question and he was trying to talk about normalisation and he goes, you know, they're just like us. And I went, like, and he saw my face and he, oh my God, sorry, Court. And I was like, no, 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 it's fine, but we're going to do that again. <laughs> and it was the othering in that, in that moment. And I said, you just assumed that every single person you were talking to was straight. Um, and it was only really because I was the actual person sitting there and him interviewing that we really kind of really picked up on that. And there were a lot of things across the show that, that happened that we would catch and the, the team were amazing. So, yeah, I think, I think um, the importance of not just your creatives but also the people who are helping you tell the story to the wider world have to have, to have a knowledge. I, what was it? Yeah, so one of the other things I wanted to ask all three of you was whether you have seen um, great examples of the way materials have been used or, um, you know, certain, whether it's stills or featurettes or anything that you're like, that is awesome. And I, I mean, whether they're overseas examples or local examples. Kirst? Um, I, I actually really liked Nomadland, how they, it was so simple and so sweet and just, um, you know, it was all unit stills, which I always really like it when they do that. I mean, they just, they're just there, you know, and I felt that um, 
you know, and there were some really great shots of Chloe and and Francis interacting, you know, and, and I think that that kind of made the whole thing really personal. But um, just to follow that up, like the day after the Oscars, when yeah. Nomadland won Best Picture and Chloe had won Best Director and Francis had won Best Actress, yeah. um, we were putting out a newsletter to our, you know, million members who get our email. And I was like, oh, we've already used an image of Nomadland in our last newsletter. What do I... And that exact photo of um, Francis is in the in the van and Chloe is looking at her and Francis is just like putting a head on Chloe's forehead and it's so beautiful and it's one of those moments that as an editor you go, thank you for taking that photo and making it available to us. And you'd never get that on a screen grab. <laughs> Truly. Yes. <laughs> See, it's got a big reach. So are there any that... Um, I had a couple. So one of my favourite ones was um, the last season of Game of Thrones where um, they got um, uh, Amelia Clark, Mother of Dragons, um, to do a behind-the-scenes thing. So basically, I mean, and uh, I, I brought it back to Shortland because sometimes when we're promoting things like the cliffhanger, we have to say things without saying things. So we can't give away any spoilers and everything's under wraps. So she did a really great job of going around the studio and be like, shh, we can't see this, or blah, 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 but also creating the hype at the same time. Um, which I really loved. Um, and also something, um, and, you know, Ned Stark, and uh, another classic example of building your character to become this thing and then killing them off. Um, and um, and then closer to home, like just recently, um, um, Head High, so the publicist for the show, um, on purpose went out of the way to include this character that they were going to kill off. Um, and all publicity materials, all social materials, um, just to have that maximum impact. And it really worked. Um, so it just goes back to the theory of, you know, building the love and then tearing it away. Um, <laughs> but then, and then, and they will complain that they're never going to watch the show again because you killed off their favourite and then you look at the ratings the next day, it will be higher than the previous night. Um, so it does work. Um, so yeah, those were my two examples that I quite liked. Um, awesome. Todd? Um, I love thinking outside the box in, in understanding how... Um, publicity can inform other aspects of production. Um, one show that I really love is called Scam or Scam, and it's a I think it's a Norwegian youth show. And the really interesting thing with that show is the release strategy. So that show, um, so just for instance, they had half an hour episodes, but they kind of broke them up into scenes. And you know when you're um, when you're watching an episode, like a character's at a party. Um, then the character's like in their bedroom and then they're at school. And so the really interesting thing with that show is they broke that sh uh, broke those episodes into these scenes and released them at the real time of day that they would take place in the series. And so the scene where they're at a party, it was launched online um, at like 10.30. And it was always surprise. Like you wouldn't know when you were going to get a snippet from Scum. Um, and then other, you know, episodes dropped during school hours because they were at school. Um, yes, yeah, so I thought it was a really fascinating way in which innovative release strategy, um, you know, publicity strategy informed the show in a way, in, in the, the DNA of that show. And it's the most popular show in um, Norway, I think. Um, yeah, so that's just one example. But I also love, you know, how shows like Euphoria do makeup tutorials um, 
and how much that is such a key part of their audience and popularity, you know, really leveraging all aspects of that show to like reach out and like welcome people in for a for another experience of of that world that you've built. Yeah, I've tried I've tried the makeup tutorials. At, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a teenager anymore. <laughs> put it that way. The um, before I throw to some questions, I actually want to put a question to you, Gemma, because you are receiving such materials for Letterboxd. What is best practice or worst practice? E.g., no back of actors' heads. Oh yeah, no back of actors' heads. Um, one of my um, favourite least faves would be, and Kirsty, I'd be interested to hear from you on this, would be um, stills that still photographs from set of key talent or a key moment in the film or show that clearly have been graded by the director or the director of photography to look exactly how they want that image to look. And when it comes up on your phone as you're scrolling through, seriously, as a dark blue blob, I don't care. I will take that photo and I will put it in my crappy online pick monkey, you know, thingy and I will beef the exposure and it will look terrible to the GOP's eyes, but it's exactly what we need editorially that needs to live on a website. Because the other thing is, half the time, I don't know about you, but I've got my brightness on my phone turned down as well so that the other person in the bed can get some sleep. Um, just being honest. And so that's one of my fave hates is the, um, is the pics that have been graded for the artists who made the film, not for the media and the audience. Um, one of my other faves is, and this comes back to resources on set, I guess, but you, you don't know what you don't know about who your audience is going to respond to in your show. And what is often happening these days is that there's a, there's a um, side character who is the character who becomes the meme, right? Todd, you know what I'm talking about. And then so you go to the publicist and you go, hey, can we get a... And, and you get an interview with them because that's all anyone in their letterbox reviews is talking about. Then I go to the publicist and go, can I have a still? And they go, oh, well, we've sort of got this one. And they're kind of like off to the side in the family photograph. Um, so don't forget those characters because you know, because you wrote them. You know, you wrote those lines for that person and that storyline. Take a photo of them. Yeah, and then my other fave is, least fave is um, when I ask for a photo of the director and it's just a headshot. It's lazy, lazy. I want a photo of the director directing on set. Maybe with the DOP, maybe with key performers. I don't really mind. And then the other thing I would say that's always fun and that I will often ask for and not many other people do, um, but very, very successful directors like Peter Jackson and Edgar Wright do this all the time. They take their own photos of what's going on on set. They get their camera out, Peter Jackson with his 3D camera or whatever, um, and they will turn the, you know, and they'll just turn to their crew and take photos of moments that they love. So, you know, when there's a moment where it's a photo of the DOP deep in concentration and a beautiful moment that is taken by the director, that is meaningful to me as an editor and that is meaningful to the fans of the film. I would say that all about photos. And there's more of that, yeah. Kirsty, can you tell me about grading? <laughs> well, funnily enough, um, I was just going through some stills from this job that Courtney and I are doing, which is basically all set early evening, night time, and it's snowing. 
and everyone's wearing hoods and things. So every, and I was just going through some photos, and the DP walked past me. Oh, that's nice. Oh, it's a bit bright. <laughs> wow. I said, yeah. I said, yes, I know, Simon, because we want to see their faces. <laughs> Yeah, I learned oh, this in yeah. the ukulele orchestra. There is a difference between lighting for the audience in front of you and a difference in lighting for television or, or for your music video. And um, your, your live lighting designer will hate you, but the people watching your music video will love you. Well, they need to, see, they see, they need to see the actors' faces. And, and, you know, what I do is I just write a little note when I send them off. They need to be brightened up because I send them off to LA and they... They go, oh, yes, we got your note. They need to be brightened up. So, so that, that's re really for the actors to make their kills, they need to see how they look. They can't just see this sort of shape. Oh, God. <laughs> which is what the DP wanted. Yeah. I mean, horror is different. Yeah, well, yeah, and it kind of, yeah. yeah. Right, we shouldn't go yeah, into it. But yeah, but, you know. It, we're in the A anyway, Oazo, so. What is? Um, <laughs> oh, but I guess one more thing I wanted to add yeah. in is I know that, um, I know that there are NDAs ding, ding, non-disclosure agreements that get signed by cast and crew in terms of photos that you might take on your phones on set and where they might end up. But from a publicity perspective, I'm very, very, very interested in those photos and that footage still being taken, yeah. not released, not disclosed until such time as it needs to be. But, you know, some kind of um, onboarding of cast and crew around collecting their own materials and sharing them with production so that they become available later when suddenly your thing completely breaks out and you have fans and you go for a second season and then a third and a fourth. You don't know what's going to happen in a year's yeah. time. And Yeah, and so to that point, it's something that I, my natural inclination as a publicist was to not let it happen. But then it was this realisation in the last few few things that I've been on, especially where you're just like, you don't want to chop your young cast off at the knees who, have, who are getting this great content. You've just got to come up with a system to gather it all. Um, and... And I've done it on the last few jobs and it's, it's you know, reaped some amazing re rewards um, as long as everyone's on board and everyone is being also, you know, um, respectful of each other's space, you know, and that kind of thing. That's, really, that's another important thing. And you don't know how the content's going to get used. Todd and I were talking about this um, and you produced a music video and the stills ended up in the music video, right? Yes, um, yeah. Um, Alex's partner, um, Jordan, one of the Thunderlips duo, um, I, I produced a music video um, and the onset stills photographer, he came with his film camera and he was taking stills on the shoot and the directors gave him space to do that. And then, yeah, when they were cutting to get together their edit, they put his stills into the video. So, you know, you never know how these are going to be used. Um, a gaffer had a camera on our set and he took some photos and then I ended up using those for my... Um, you know, little interviews and newspapers and stuff. Yeah. I used his photos. Uh, it's, yeah, and and in terms of both the surprise of how your materials are used and empowering your people, when I worked on a film called Little Monsters, which had uh, Lupita Nyong'o and uh, Josh Gad and tw 15 five-year-olds, um, <laughs> and I went to Nikon and I got them to give me this camera that was just like, you, a child couldn't break it. And I said, I want to give this to the kids. And um, and it had to be managed, the process behind the scenes, but I man managed it with the dramaturg and the art department loved the camera so much we got a second one because they wanted it to be actually in the film. So I got another film and we got another, sorry, camera. And then 
the photos that the, t- the kids took themselves are in the end credits of the film now, um, which was just like this beautiful thing. I mean, Lupita did come up to me towards the end of the film and she was like, tell them to stop taking photos of me. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> Can I- so, yeah. Can I just say that that's a really great example that a strategy is like a living, breathing thing that, you know, evolves throughout the different parts of production. So it's really important to have, you know, unit publicity or these roles involved from the beginning all the way through to after and after. Following on from what you're saying about giving the cameras to kids, one thing that I did on a film which worked really well was we shot a film that was kind of low budget and it was shot um, in the islands. And we ran a sweepstake where anyone that took photos on their phones or on their cameras throughout the shoot could email them through. And if we used them in the final deliverables, we gave them 100 bucks cash. Um, and it worked really, really well. And we got beautiful photos of, like, sceneries and behind the scenes and that sort of stuff. And I think it might have cost the production maybe, like, six or 700 bucks to get that level. And, yeah, it was quite a fun competition. So that's an idea that plays into yours. Hey, there's something I just want to add. Yeah, I was going to say, right. that's the only... Yeah. I'm ready to retire. But, <laughs> hey, um, just when, as a producer, when you get these stills, just make sure that you send them off via an FTP site so they don't go really small and look really bad when they get to where they're going. And, and, that's, and that's the role of the um, publicist, really. FTP. FTP. It's a, oh, a ding, file ding, ding, sharing... Ding, ding. File sharing site, we transfer. Yeah, Dropbox, that's a, like that. delivery is so. I just important. I just talked yesterday to a woman who does a lot of the graphics for Filmcom, and she was saying that she often gets these super low res JPEGs that she just can barely use, but she has to because that's what has been delivered to the Filmcom. So just be aware of that, and if any doubt, go back to the photographer because we've always got a, we've always got everything. So we can make sure that they're getting delivered the best way they possibly can. After all our hard work, it'd be great if they didn't <laughs> become tiny little weeny things. And it's very easy to do in an email. They just get <laughs> trashed. So that's all I want to say about that. I remember the example I had about there being a living, breathing, you know, strategy. Is um, So I'm making this documentary with my mother in it. And, you know, from the outset, I thought that the story was about um, uh, a woman that's obsessed with cats and she fil- she uses these cats to fill her kind of void of her children growing up. And so I was always like, okay, that's what the strategy is going to be surrounding, you know. I'm going to have, like, cats being petted and, like, videos and stuff. But then after going through the shoot, a new kind of message arose for me and that was I want people to watch this piece of work and to want to go home to, to see their parents. Or I want, I want people to watch my work and want to go home and spend time with their grandparents and to go home, you know. And that message wasn't clear to me until after production. And so I think being open to new ideas coming up as you continue through the production phases. Or do you have to create more content if it's dropped at once because you have to keep the audience engaged longer? I imagine you'd do episodic, wouldn't you? Do you I mean, from, from my point of view, it's it's not about how it's released in terms of how much content you have. Um, you still would need the same amount of content because you still you still want to engage at different points along that story. But 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I uh, I was on a show, not Ahikaro, a different show, and we had to create a social media plan, and that was like three to five months. And so, you know, part of that was looking at like, oh, you know, Waitangi Day is coming up. We should create something specifically from the realm of the show to post on Waitangi Day and leverage that. And so I've only ever worked on shows that have been released on linear and um, at the same time on demand. Um, but, yeah, we we just created as much material as possible because you never know which ones you're actually going to use because you might think, oh, this is appropriate. And then as you watch the conversation change online or, or come... Uh, uh, the conversation come out online, you're like, oh, actually, that's not appropriate for what's how this show's being received or, or what people are talking about now. The A to Z of Publicity Workshop podcasts are proudly supported by New Zealand On Air's Industry Development Fund, the US Embassy, and Images and Sound. Music for the podcast was provided by Poddington Bear, Fakatoki by Lalena Faunati, and voiceover by Gemma Gracewood. Kia ora. 